The presenting sponsor of Moon Tower Soccer is FVF Law. To find out what makes FVF a different kind of injury law firm, you can visit FVF.law. Hello, friends, and thanks for listening to Moon Tower Soccer. On today's show, we're going to review Austin's big win against Portland. We'll also talk about our new player signing and some other potential signings, and we'll preview the upcoming game against LAFC. My name is Landon Cottom, and I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Jeremiah Bentley. Hey, everybody. I'm Jeremiah Bentley. So, Landon, yesterday was the 4th of July. Do you have a do you have a tradition? Is there anything that happens with you and Ashley and Tito or anything that you want to share with the people that sort of makes your 4th of July special? No, we actually have no traditions, and uh, I'm kind of a fuddy-dud and don't even really like firecrackers. <laughs> and so, yeah, Ashley's actually leaving town next week, and so instead of traveling to visit family, we decided just to lay low. We went over to our neighbor's house and just, like, hung out with our neighbor who's, like, uh, she's probably in her in her 50s, but she's, like, a cool lady and her and some of her friends came over and were just like telling us stories about old Austin and like going to Liberty lunch and Armadillo world headquarters and like meeting musicians and stuff like that. So it ended up being kind of a fun night. That's a pretty, that's a good way to spend the day, man. I don't, I don't think that's bad. I just, I watched, um, cause I watched it every fourth independence day, the oh, classic nice. alien invasion movie. And it was, uh, this makes me feel very old now, but it's the 25th anniversary of that. Uh, is it really of that movie? So I spent uh, quite a while. And I guess I'll link to this in the show notes, but I spent a long time reading like an oral history of that uh, film, which is pretty fascinating because, like, basically the guys that wrote it, like they they use the first draft of the script. Like, there's all kinds of stuff that they're like, oh, we'll change it later, we'll change it later, and they like ran out of time, <laughs> all the way down to like Bill. Uh, gotta get the right Bill. Bill Pullman's like big speech, you know, at the end about today uh-huh. being here. It was like the first draft of the speech that, it, <laughs> and the guy's like, "Oh, I'll fix it later. Don't worry about it." And it ended up being like this, the big rallying speech of the whole of the whole movie. So we did that. That that's sort of my tradition. And then yeah, we we got the neighbors and kids together and had hot dogs and hamburgers and found some like low to the ground, smoky but not super loud fireworks to shoot off. As is what we do as Americans. So it was it was a good day for us too. I know last time I saw you in person, you were going to buy fireworks and were afraid you weren't going to be able to find them. But it sounds like sounds like you you ended up getting some. <laughs> yeah, we did. We got in early ahead of the fireworks shortage. We had to go to two different uh, stands to do it and probably spent more than one reasonably ought to. But the boys were happy. Um, and when we spent like an hour this morning cleaning up all the <laughs> parts that were laying all over the yard. <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, let's talk about some soccer. So I, I know like we've had a few rough weeks in the last couple of months, soccer wise, and I'm not always excited to record the episode. Uh, I was like, I don't want to talk about the stupid soccer game and record this stupid podcast. But this week I was excited to talk about it. And I'm, of course, just kidding. We always we always enjoy making a show. And we're very appreciative of the folks that listen to it, but genuinely excited to talk about this game because Austin scored four goals, which is something they hadn't done in, was it six or seven games that they hadn't scored any goals? Well, or hadn't scored more than one, right? Uh, yeah, they had the oh, one, yeah, the one right. against Kansas City, but I think that was that was out of seven. And so they scored almost as many goals on Thursday, not as they scored all year, right? I mean, they had six going in and got from six yeah. to ten. Yeah. So uh, what were what were some of the the questions that we or others had going into this game? unsurprisingly you know one which we talked about last week was will we ever score 
uh, you know, about where the goals were coming from. And what Josh said during the, and we'll get into this more in the, the post-match press conference during the week, um, he talked about how they were on the verge of multi- multiple goals, but missing the final action. He particularly talked about how, how they did that against Columbus. It was a fairly complete game. It just, until they got on the end of things, they, they didn't score a goal. Yeah, he, I think in the press conference, he also talked about just like not pressing too hard for a goal and not trying too hard for a goal. And that's going to come up again as we go through this game as well. But um, yeah, there's <clears throat> a lot of things that that Josh Wolf said that they were working on or we're going to spend some time on or we're going to have meetings about that ended up kind of working out and looked like that it paid off during this game for sure. And then I have a question for you too. And this is a, a phrase that I've heard. He talked about it specifically before this match, it's a phrase I've heard, and I should know what it means. But he talked about Portland's low block. And I know there's a low block, and I believe there's a high block. But for like somebody that doesn't know a whole lot about tactics, like what what does that actually mean? Yeah, so it's it's going to refer to their defensive setup. So it's essentially a low block is like the opposite of a high press. And so instead of so like Austin generally will play a high block or like a high press a lot of times, which they did in this game. A low block is going to be where instead of uh, being proactive while you're defending and kind of going after people, like you watch Liverpool. Liverpool usually plays a very high block, a very proactive pressing system. Uh, Portland generally generally plays a lower block where they will sit a little deeper and let the offense kind of bring the ball to them as opposed to trying to to press back on them. So that that's essentially all that's referring to is how – how high are you setting that uh, like that line of pressure? All right. Well, thank you for filling me in on that because it's something I've heard, <laughs> meant to ask about, never have. Um, and I think we can, let's talk about the lineup now. Um, it changed a little bit. Um, Hector Jimenez was back in at right back. We got Danny Pereira healthy, but that the midfield looked a little bit different than we expected before. So why don't you uh, fill us in on that? Yeah. So whenever... Uh, the MLS website released kind of their little graphic of what they thought the lineup was going to be. Uh, I immediately looked at it and was like, this is wrong. I don't think this is exactly how we're going to be lining up because they had Danny Pereira lined up at right wing and he's never ever played there. And so I was like, I'm guessing we're going to see Fagundes on the wing, which did end up happening. But even that, that being known, it did look a lot different in practice than than it did on paper there. So, uh, yeah, we ended up having the back four you'd expect. So, Kolmanich, Beisler, Cascante, Jimenez. In the midfield, it was uh, Ring, Pochettino, Pereira, and then Fagundes, Dominguez, and Gallagher up front with Fagundes on the left and Gallagher on the right, which was something I wasn't sure which side those two guys were going to be playing on. And then Dominguez uh, at the at the striker position. And so defending, they were kind of sitting in that 4-4-2, which what we've seen for several games in a row now, I, I think, where uh, Pochettino would kind of go up alongside Dominguez and press the center backs. And then the rest of the the wingers will drop back into the a line of four with uh, with the central midfielders. Uh, so that was the defensive shape. In attack, we saw some pretty interesting stuff going on. So a lot of times with the ball, they would shift into what looked a lot like a three four three. So Ring would drop between the center backs, 
and then you would have uh, Pereira and Pochettino kind of in the center. Um, and then Fagundes and Gallagher on the wing still, but a little more narrow than what we've normally seen the wingers play. And the fullbacks were pushing really high um, into the midfield, like on level or ahead of the central midfielders. So they essentially kind of became midfielders and even attackers. Kolmanich was getting really high a lot of times and was kind of creating the width up high and was receiving the ball, uh, like kind of stretching the line from midfielders, receiving the ball from midfielders. So a lot of kind of fluidity and movement and rotation in this system, but a lot of times it did end up looking kind of like a three, four, three with ring in that, in that back line. So uh, kind of looking back, I was asking the question, like what, what does dropping ring back like that give to us? And I think watching the game again and kind of um, watching little bits of it back again, I think number one, as I mentioned, it, it allows the fullbacks to push up really high without exposing the center backs uh, on transition, which Portland is a team who, like we said, sitting in that low block would try to break, break away in, uh, in transition and kind of hit you on the counterattack. That kind of allows our, uh, our fullbacks to get high, but keeping ring deeper, they can do that without exposing our slow center backs, essentially. And so whenever we would turn it over, a lot of times you would see ring kind of step forward and slow down that counterattack. So the, the center backs could kind of drop and get into position while ring stepped forward and slowed down the counterattack. Whereas if ring was already high, then we turn it over in the midfield one of the center backs would have to step to it, leaving the other one back there on, on his own. So um, yeah, that that's one thing it did to it. I think another thing which was interesting and I wouldn't have thought about was it let Danny Pereira kind of stay central and uh, kind of distribute and, and create and dribble from a central position without making him be like that number six destroyer. So you'll, if you think back to the game after, uh, after Ring's red card, was that the Galaxy? Yeah, that was a Galaxy. Which, when, when you were talking about uh, us finally being exciting this week, I was trying to think about like what the most depressing game week was. <laughs> and like Minnesota was probably the worst individual game, but we had Columbus after that, right? So we like yeah. that was good to talk about. But I feel like the week of the Galaxy match was probably the week I was like least into into talking about what was going on because it was just a bad time all the way around. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but yeah, during that Galaxy game, Wolf decided to play Danny Pereira at the six, which creatively and like offensively, he's he's good from from that area and, and did some really good stuff. But most of the time is when he was kind of pushing forward. But as far as defensively goes, he's nowhere near, doesn't have anywhere near the skill set that Alex Ring does in just kind of being that destroyer, like that enforcer position. And so this, again, having leaving ring deeper, it allowed Pereira to be in that central area and be really creative and kind of move the ball around or drive forward at times. And he didn't really have to worry about what was behind him because he knew he had ring back there kind of watching his back during those moments. So I thought that was really interesting. And as far as um, other positional things go, so we said Fagundes was on the left wing. 
but it was very positionally flexible, moved inside a lot, um, would a lot of times end up in kind of his standard, like those, those dual tins, he would end up in those positions. And if you look at, um, I was looking on whoscored.com and they have like kind of an average position chart. Um, Diego Fagundes' average position throughout the game is like just to the left of the center circle. And so although his nominal position was starting out on that left wing, he floated inside a lot. Him and Kolmanich would kind of trade off and Kolmanich would run inside and they'd do little one-twos. Uh, and, and Jimenez was doing the same thing with, with Pochettino and with uh, Gallagher and then Stroud later in the game on there. Would He would, he would cut inside and they would play little one-twos. So a lot of really like interesting and creative things happening. And then, so I, that's a lot of what, what kind of made this game so much fun to watch and what allowed them to have so much possession and have so much useful possession during this game. Yeah. I, I kept all throughout the match, the possession numbers, I kept waiting for those to change because they were really dominant and we'll get, I think we could talk about it a little bit, but you know, they, they had the most of possession like from the bat and all throughout. And it was just, it was like watching a different, I guess this is like the best of Josh Wolf style of play. It was probably yeah. the game tonight. Like it was, you could see all the things that they had been trying to do, the things that we talked about um, before about, uh, you know, no overlapping runs through the box and all those things, like all those things came to light uh, in the game on Thursday. So let's, let's get into a little bit of the game highlights. Um, the first goal, did you, did you see it coming? I guess we should talk about it first. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you could feel it coming, right? Like, it felt different than the Columbus game, didn't it? Like in the Columbus game it was like, Oh, we're doing a lot of cool stuff, like really good stuff. And then that just like that, the final ball was never there. The final decision, it was like, we're getting in great positions, but I still never like felt it. And in the first like 10 minutes of this game, I was like, I think they're going to score today. Like it looked like it was going to happen. It took 28 minutes to happen, but yeah, it was uh, John Gallagher ended up scoring the first ever goal. Uh, home like Austin FC goal at Q2 Stadium. I don't want to take <laughs> right. anything away from Kristen Press. Yeah, um, or or the or the, I even saw somebody talk about the, the whichever U13 kid scored the first. Oh yeah, <laughs> first goal. So yes, the first Austin FC home goal at Q2 Stadium. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So this. So talking about the the best version of Josh Wolf's play. This goal was like. A Josh Wolf goal. This is like his dream goal. I, I imagine he he's watched this a thousand times and just like drooling at it essentially. But um Tomas Pochettino actually drops in really deep. They're they're kind of working it around and not really getting a look that they like or not getting numbers in the right spots. And so Pochettino ends up dropping way, way deep in between the uh the center backs. He plays uh a ball to John Gallagher's feet as he was kind of checking back. And then he follows his pass and runs from in between the center backs and kind of takes an arcing run out to the right wing because as Gallagher dropped, he saw that there was space over there. And so in kind of this setup, he had the freedom to do that. And so he's like, I'm just going to go take that space now. And so he follows that through Gallagher um, drops it to uh, Cascante. Cascante pushes the ball forward across midfield and then plays it into Cecilio's feet as he's checking in this time. Cecilio plays a one-time flick kind of like behind him and to the left to John Gallagher, who had kind of checked back again and then started moving forward. Uh, Gallagher is able, it's kind of a tricky ball. It's the ball ends up kind of high and Gallagher is able to get a leg up to it and control it. 
and turns towards goal. And then he drops the ball out wide to Pochettino, who, as I said, had run 50 or 60 yards from, uh, from the defending half to get over to that right wing. He drops it to Pochettino. Um, at, uh, Diego Fagundes at that moment makes a near post run. And at the same time, John Gallagher is running kind of inside towards the penalty spot. And then Cecilio is posted up at the top of the box waiting for a cutback. And so uh, some of like the, the lack of creative movement in the box that we had been talking about in the last few games, this is a good example of, of what can happen when you do have good movement in the box. Yeah. I want to ask, so that Diego Fagundes run, I mean, that's what freed Gallagher, right? Like he, there was a guy that followed Fagundes at the near post that left the space for Gallagher to come in behind. I think yeah, that's, it that's was right. uh, Bonilla, the the right back, follows Fagundes all the way through the box. And so, um, yeah, so right after that, Pochettino kind of cuts it back towards the penalty spot. It lands right on Gallagher's stride, and all Gallagher has to do is just throw a foot at it. Uh, Steve Clark is covering his near post, and so – uh, Gallagher has an angle. If he just throws a foot at it, hits it far post, it's in. And that's what he does. He scores it easy as that. But yeah, there would have likely been more traffic in that area had Fagundes not made that run. And then also he had, he kept Steve Clark honest there as well. The goalkeeper had to stay near post because that run was coming in. Whereas if everyone was just running in a straight line, he could have been a bit more comfortable there, but uh really good team goal. And it's like I said, it's, Wolf's dream goal. It's positional play using possession and movement to disorganize the opponent. And that's exactly what happened. And boom, you score a goal. Yeah. And it didn't take long for them to score, to go up 2 0 uh, and create further pandemonium um, in yeah. the south end. And this one was uh, another one that Cascante factored really heavily in. So this is on the first two goals. I think he was a big part of it. Yeah, for sure. And so this is a moment where I think Chris Bills was. Um, kind of predicting that Austin FC's first home goal might come from like a counter press situation or like a, a counter attack situation. And that's what this one was. So uh, Portland have a goal kick. They play it out short. Uh, the left center back Zuparic has the ball just outside the 18 yard box. He plays a long ball kind of towards the center circle and it's meant for uh, Ibobasi. And he plays it a little bit short and it would have been kind of awkward to control for Ibobasi, but Cascante drops in with him and ends up winning uh, winning the ball out of the air and heads it really hard, like forward, but keeps it low. Um, it's going kind of towards the center back. Cecilio runs around that center back and beats him to the ball. Again, you guessed it, the one-time flick, which is kind of Cecilio's signature move the last few games and has created some really dangerous moments, but just touches it one time, kind of flicks it on, finds uh, Diego Fagundes in a, a bunch of space, and he's one V one with the keeper. So uh, takes one or two touches, hits it far post. Uh, Steve Clark is able to get a hand to it, but it's not enough to, to get through that. And that ends up two nil right there. And one thing in the, the little hype, like highlight hype video thing that Austin FC <laughs> released this week. Uh, let's, listeners, if you haven't seen that, check it out. Cause it's really cool. But um they play a little clip of Wolf in the locker room before the game. And one of the things he says is when your duels, like focus on your individual game. And if you win your duels, then collectively we will win this game. And this is a great example of that right here. Uh, Cascante wins that duel. 
Cecilio wins a duel and then uh, Fagundes is able to beat the keeper uh, with his shot. And so I think it's just a moment of these little small moments where if you just work harder than the guy you're going against, you can make things happen. And then um, just the system isn't enough. You need, you have to be fighting and winning those duels within the system. And, and again, this is just a really good example here. Bill's talked about the, the environment too. I think if you read his article, I think it was the one right after the game, just sort of about the, about the fan environment and the way the place exploded. And we talked um, last week about how, and at fourth tap too, about how we might have to buy a whole new stadium once a goal finally happens because we're going to blow yeah. the roof off of it. <laughs> and that was absolutely, that was the reaction on the first goal. But I feel like even more on the second goal because it was, there was a little bit of breathing room there. And it was a, and they, I mean, they were really looking at dominant at that, at that point too. So it was a beautiful goal. I mean, the fans were going well. I think Chris said he kind of hung outside the press box to take in the, uh, just the emotion of the moment. So uh, that was a really it was a beautiful goal and a really exciting time to be in the stadium too did you feel like the like the pop like the sound on the second goal was like louder than the first one yeah i, I did which is weird because it wasn't the first goal in q2 which i thought would be the loudest one but i felt like the second one maybe because it was uh i think know, we I just like Diego saw or, coming a little bit more mm-hmm. um the first one was like a little bit out of nowhere like you could tell we were in a dangerous position, but like Gallagher didn't have time to like wind up. Like you didn't know he was shooting or if he was even going to get to that ball. Like he had to take a pretty big stride just to get a foot on it. And once he touches it, it's in the net before I realized it was, it was a goal scoring opportunity. And so I think maybe that had a lot to do with it, but with, with uh, Dominguez, sorry, with um, Fagundes's goal, it was like, you could kind of see it coming there for a second and i think maybe that had a lot to do with it. but either way both of those in the next two goals it was extremely loud in that stadium and it was a, a pretty cool atmosphere to be a part of yeah it was and so after that it got a little got a little weird uh through the through the 35th or 40th minute that was the the odd var check um yeah it was like a f- several minutes probably five minutes or so yeah that they had to take out to do this this weird var check that ended up being checking two or three different calls and ended up with two austin fc players getting yellow cards when right. maybe really we should have gotten a penalty <laughs> yeah yeah right because yeah i guess cecilia was kind of calling for a penalty and it so comanis was one of them right he got a yellow for a really uh, i i think it's like a, a hard foul in like it could have been kind of a breakaway situation so up after watching it again a couple of times i'm not too upset with that one um and then pochettino got one for dissent yeah uh arguing about the penalty call i think but what did what did you think about not giving that penalty call i I did i did not i didn't have a problem with not giving that penalty call i didn't i didn't like that was a clear and obvious penalty and i especially did it didn't in the at the time, watching it live, I just couldn't understand where the delay was because it didn't seem like anything obvious on the field. Now, going back... Oh, really? I the, had the exact opposite did you not? reaction. Okay. I thought it was a clear penalty in the moment. Um, it just looked really dangerous in the moment. And after the like watching the replay, I, I understand it a little bit more because uh, I think it was Bonilla, that same right back we mentioned earlier slides in and at first his his studs are up and about a foot and a half off the ground he does like 
I don't think he meant those studs for Cecilio's leg. He was going after the ball and he ends up kind of pulling it down, pulling his, his feet down before contact is made. And uh, it ended up like not really being that dangerous of a play, but that's not like, that's not the intention of the rule. It's like, I tried to kick this guy in the face, but I missed. And so it doesn't count. Like, no, 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 that's not, that's not the rule. Like if you, if you do something that's dangerous, it should be a foul. And if that foul happens in the, in the penalty box, then it's a penalty. But um, yeah, I, after the replay, I thought it was gray enough that I was a little bit more okay, but I was, I was pretty uh, angry about it in the stadium that they didn't give it. So maybe my problem is after seeing Cecilia go down enough, I'm just like, oh, Cecilia's on the ground again. Like, I don't, I could just stop, stop reacting yeah. to that. But uh, I don't know. <laughs> he did, he did win a, a yellow card. Uh, I think he got Tuiloma a yellow card. That's, I don't remember when in the game this was, but um, I don't think Tuiloma touched him. <laughs> <laughs> he got him a yellow card for it but so it's in these moments where like the like I mentioned before kind of the risk reward of of Cecilio's flopping and I think this game some of it kind of paid off but I don't think that's always going to be the case for sure <laughs> no what, what that did lead to was a whole bunch of, of added time at the end of the first half and the downside yeah. of that being that Portland did finally manage to pick up their one goal of the match there right before the half at I have it at 45 plus seven, I believe is what it was. Yeah. And I think there were only six minutes of added time and it was that is the true. seventh minute. Of yeah. It. <laughs> um, yeah. I, it was like a few guys got beat earlier on in this little sequence, but I think the, the final play comes down to just really good execution from Portland. I think maybe there's a few, a few little decisions that could have been made, but really it was a good ball and a good finish uh, by Ibobasi there. Um, I I got a little bit nervous about that one because momentum had been 100% in Austin, Austin's direction up until kind of the end of that first half. And then they scored that goal. I was like, oh man, let's, we can't let them kind of swing it back the other way. And so I was a little bit nervous going into halftime there. Yeah, I was too, because you never know what happens there. It would have been a shame. I mean, thinking about the negative outcome out of that with the with how dominant Austin had been in possession and how much they had done all the things right. You know, if somehow they'd had they'd blown that two 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 nil lead and ended up like as with a two two draw, that would have been an injustice to the way that they played. But luckily that's not how it turned out. Yeah. Um Jared Stroud ends up coming on for Gallagher at halftime he injured his foot like I think in the first five minutes or so and uh went down I think in the 25th minute and had to come off the field he comes back on the field in the 27th minute or so and I think like 30 seconds later scores that first goal and so I think he was playing through a lot of pain in that first half but at halftime I think it was just too much um and ended up coming off they put Stroud on then so was uh, that? But, so do you think that that uh, like primal scream after the goal was that like pain, joy, or some combination <laughs> of both? Probably a combination. <laughs> Just all of the emotions uh, happening at the same time there. But yeah, he he looked pretty happy to score that goal for sure. Um, the next goal comes in the seventy seventh minute. This was a set piece. Uh, I think Fagundes ended up getting a, a foul out wide right. 
Cecilio takes the free kick. He curls it in towards the penalty spot and Austin FC players are kind of in a line, all just running towards the goal. And it was played a little bit behind it. And ring was the first one to kind of notice that and adjust to it. And so the defenders all kind of kept running and ring was able to drop back and get his head on it. But it was, I, at first I was like, Oh, it was kind of an easy, like unmarked ball, but it was kind of an awkward angle for ring. I think he did really well to, to get his as good of a header on as he did, but gets his head head on it, kind of floats it towards the far side, hits the the uh, the side net just inside the far post, and the keeper didn't have a chance against it. So, really great goal there. And he he runs towards the the supporter section there and is saying, "This is our house, boys." And that's he just said, "This is our house," probably. But I know that. Jeremiah enjoys how much him, him talking Al- about the boys. Alex says the boys. Yeah, I'm talking about the team. <laughs> yeah, so uh, so he wasn't like maybe he was. Was he like jumping away from goal when he when he yeah. left? Like yeah, he, he was, was like he was like moving the opposite way even in the air, right? Yeah, he's like leaning. He had to run back and like yeah, kind of like jumped away from goal. It was like definitely leaning at an angle away from the goal when he hit it with his head. So I, yeah, it was a much more impressive goal than I thought it was at first. Yeah. And before he ran to the uh, supporter section, he had a bit, a bit of a winding path. I feel like he sort of, like he started to go to the sideline and then he ran to the supporter session. And then, um, so you think he read his lips at some point after the goal. Do you have a, have a guess about what he was talking about? Yeah. I saw some people online talking about like, saying like where was ring going like after that goal and i watched it back and kind of did some investigating and i think he's running towards the bench like after he goes and celebrates with the supporter section he runs over to the bench and i think he's saying where's aki where's aki and he's referring to aki tajima who is the director of sports medicine and my guess is that he wanted to thank him for getting him fit enough to play over the last couple of weeks because we didn't think he was going to play in the Columbus game and came back and he was talking about how how much work they had to do over those those 48 hours to get his foot in good enough condition to to play and I'm I'm guessing that's that's who it was because I I saw that and then I'd heard just from someone in the stadium that he went over eventually went like over onto the bench and was hugging one of the technical staff ah and so I think just those, I think that's all he was doing. He was just going to go over and like, thanks for getting me fit enough to play. <laughs> yeah. And I, yeah, I love that. I love everything about Alex ring of what was he in the pregame, you know, in the video, he had a good, like daring curse word too. you know, he's a leader of man. Oh, Do you remember yeah. that? That, that? I don't remember what he said. Yeah. The highlight video. He got me all fired up. I just, I love that guy. <laughs> uh, next one came not long after that. Um, from Hector Jimenez. So uh, there's kind of a little scramble in the, in the center of the field. Fagunez ends up with the ball. He plays a soft pass upfield. I think he was playing it towards, um, it would have been towards Stroud. And their left back, Van Rankin, intercepts it, but he takes a bit of a heavy touch. And this is, again, one of these moments where winning your duels, kind of fighting for every ball can turn into something. So Van Rijken intercepts that soft pass, but takes a heavy touch. And Jimenez was already counter-pressing, was on his way towards the ball. And so whenever Van Rijken takes that heavy touch, Jimenez gets there first. And he's able to kind of like lift the ball, like do a little flick, and then jumps over Van Rijken's outstretched leg where he's trying to tackle him. And just that move alone was pretty impressive. 
and then moves towards goal. And I think he takes one touch towards goal and then he lays it off to Stroud outright. Stroud uh, takes one touch towards goal and then cuts it back to Hector Jimenez at the top of the box. He receives it across his body, which I thought was a really, a really smart, um, smart move there receives it across his body so he can kind of face up to goal and then does this this little hesitation move and just absolutely murders bill Tuiloma, just puts him in the ground and so bill Tuiloma goes to ground hector just kind of steps around him and then buries it to the far post and i think this might have been my favorite goal of the game just because of uh just how much like arrogance uh Jimenez had in that moment to to pull that off like the calmness in the box and how just confident he he never looked like he wasn't going to pull it off yeah and I what I kept thinking about after watching uh Tui Loma go down was if that had been us like what we what would we have been saying about (laughs) Matt Beasler right it would have been like oh he's finally passed it you know this is it he can never see the field again or if that was Cascante you know we would have would have had the Portland Timbers you know fans among us being like see we told you there's like one time Every game when he's going to look like a fool and he's going to get left. So I was very happy to see us do that to somebody else. Absolutely. And I was, whenever I was watching this, I was, my first thought in that moment was like, in previous games, Stroud shoots that ball. And I think like Wolf must have talked to him. They must have been going over these kinds of things. But Stroud shoots that ball in a previous game. And instead, he slows down and takes that extra pass inside and gives Hector a way easier path to goal there. I watched the uh, the press conference from Monday, Monday, July 5th uh, with Wolf, and he actually brings up a meeting where he said, we, we spent an hour and 15 minutes analyzing these attacking moments and kind of looking at like, okay, how did we get into this position? Did we make the right decision? What else could we have done? And then he, Wolf directly linked it to this play and said like, Stroud, instead of shooting across goal, makes the decision to cut it back in, which which creates that goal. And so I think it's really good sign that that Wolf is taking these teaching moments and that the players are responding to them and changing what they're doing in these game, like in these game situations, because it's just those, it's a lot of decision making, right? Like I don't think Stroud is necessarily a selfish player. I think he just like felt like like maybe rushed it a little bit and felt like that was going to be the the safest bet or the best bet there but instead here he took what wolf was teaching him into into consideration slowed it down cut it back easy goal and so yeah i think it's just extremely encouraging to see the players really responding to the things that the coaching staff is trying to teach them yeah let's talk about oh you know Jimenez let's we can talk about Hector Jimenez first let's do that if we're going to talk about players um, he had an incredible game and he hit the post once too in the second half. He so, did. That yeah. one was, yeah, that was great. Um, it ended up, I think it was Zuparich like got the very top of his head to the ball and pushed it onto the post. Otherwise he would have roofed one from outside the box and that would have, would have had a goal earlier than what he did. But I, yeah, Hector Jimenez was really good against Columbus and was maybe even better in this game. But I think, it, it begs the question, who is our best right back right now? Because I think, what was the game where uh, where Jimenez got injured and had to come out early? Was that Minnesota? I think that was also Galaxy. Oh, was it Galaxy too? Oh, great. Yeah, 
because I think it was Sebastian Legette that he was trying to to defend whenever that happened. Um, but during that game, he had some really, really strong moments going forward. And so at after that game, I was like, I think Jimenez is a lot stronger than uh, than Lima going forward. But Lima is probably still a better defender. And after these last couple of games, I'm like, I'm not sure if Lima is a better defender either. Uh, Lima is he's a much more aggressive defender and like a more physical presence than Jimenez is. But Jimenez did really well against some some big, strong attackers over the last couple of weeks and held his own was really good going forward. Um, I yeah, I'm not sure what the timeline is with Lima coming back, but if Lima were healthy on Wednesday, who would you start at right back? I would start Hector Jimenez right back on Wednesday. I think I'd have to do the same thing. Um, I don't know if there's a way like I, I, it's a good problem to have, right? To have too many good players, but it's we spent a lot of money on on Nick Lima. Yeah, and... I think for me, it's one of these things where you know having two, two games a week and stuff later in the year that these these minutes will work themselves out. Just like having, yeah, that's true. Having, having three pretty decent center backs, like everybody, there's gonna be enough there's gonna be enough playing time to go around for everybody, and I feel like it'll be the same way a little bit. Jimenez is thirty something, thirty two, thirty two. You know, so he probably won't be able to go every every you know, 90 minutes every match, but what a good problem to have. And when he went down against LA, I mean, we, it looked bad. That was, that was another one of those where you're like, Oh gosh, is him and it's going to be back at all. Yeah. Um, and then we talked about MCL sprains. You never really know. Um, and luckily it wasn't, it didn't take that long and he's been a, amazing since coming back. Yeah. And was probably forced into this many minutes before Wolf and the, like the training staff would have wanted him to, but he's, he's looked fantastic so far. Um, who else? I, I guess Ring and Cecilio both ended up in the MLS team of the week. Um, I, I think you arguably, arguably could have put two or three other Austin players in on the team as well. Uh, but Ring ended up, uh, with, he made 110 passes with 94% passing accuracy. A lot of those are going to be because of where he was playing and the way we were playing. A lot of those are short passes, but, um, still just to make that many and to be that accurate with them is, is impressive. He had two interceptions, two clearances and one blocked shot. And then of course scored one goal. And then as Alex ring always does, does a lot of other things that they are unable to assign numbers to. Um, but there's, there's been a, a few people and it is just a few people on Twitter. It's not that many that have seemed to have something against Alex ring and, not only think that like I could see someone saying like Alex ring is not our best player, which at some points in the season and probably still, I would argue he is, but people saying he's outright bad. And I just do not get that. <laughs> yeah. I don't get that at all either. And I saw that like in the official uh, on Reddit or the Facebook group or somewhere too, like people asking questions about Alex ring was, was actually any goo and good. And then somebody came to his defense and saying, like, no, he was really, really good at Red Bulls. And, you know, he was our captain. And I'm like, I don't know. NYCFC. No, I know. But the the, per, the person oh. saying that he was a genius <laughs> is like, yeah, he was the captain at Red Bulls. I'm like, I don't think you should be commenting on Alex's ring's career by <laughs> leading on that point. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
really good performance. And then, as we mentioned before, a really good goal. Uh, Cecilio was also on the team of the week. He had three key passes, two assists, and then, again, made some really good runs, pulling defenders out of space on some of the other goals. Uh, he had, we mentioned that uh, that Hector Jimenez shot that ended up going off the post. Did you see him trying to get out of the way of that shot? Did you no, see the replay no, of that? that. I missed it was that. pretty excellent. He was in the box and like, I can't remember what happened, but the ball was in the box and kind of like got uh, deflected back out to Jimenez at the top of the box. And Cecilia was kind of chasing it out away from goal was going to try to get the ball and he saw Jimenez kind of winding up to shoot it and Cecilio just like drops flat to the ground and puts his face <laughs> on the ground and covers his face up this is like I just got to get out of the way and like let Hector shoot this ball uh, but he does that and then you see him like pop up and look around to see if anybody's still around but it was a good awareness by Cecilio but also very entertaining to watch um, but yeah really good game by Cecilio playing in not his natural position, but doing some really good work, both offensively and defensively, to to be a really important player for this team over the last couple of games. Uh, John Gallagher uh, had a solid half when he was in, got that first goal, so he'll be in Austin FC history for sure. Um, I think in the press conference on Monday, Wolf said that we'll probably not expect him for LAFC. Uh, Bill, Chris Bills posted some pictures from training today, uh, which is Monday, we're recording this on Monday. And he was not on crutches and was walking around, but was not training with the team. And Wolf said that he's, he's going to need some time to get back. So probably not expect him to be playing against LAFC. Um, who else we got? I, I want to talk about Brad Stuver or the fact that we for once, don't talk about Brad Stuver. He didn't yeah. have a ton of work to do uh, for the first time in a while. Um, Zero saves. Yeah. So they have one shot. Is that right? They have one shot on target. One, one shot, shot on target, target and goal. it went in. Yeah. So, and it was from two feet away, and Stuver was – no way Stuver was going to save that one. So, yeah, it's he, he got to take a little bit of a break for this one, which he deserves. Yeah, and good for him, for sure, for everything he's done. He talked – so when we were at fourth tap, somebody asked about how long Brad Suver would be in Austin, and it made me sad. Uh, yeah. And in midweek, he talked about how much he loved Austin and said he would love to play here forever or make the best of his two to three years here, which I'm also going with playing forever. But, you know, he knows better than me how long his deal is. So I don't think we have to worry about him leaving at the end of the season. Yeah, I don't know. It's I. You would guess with a lot of these these free agent guys – that it would just be like a one or two year deal. But I think where he's at in his career and he, so he's not on that much money. I think it's 150,000. We could afford to give him a decent little pay raise um, enough to keep him around. And I, just because of where he has, he's at in his career, as much as they seem to have kind of uh, inserted themselves into the, into the community, I think we'll be able to keep Stuver around. Even if he is on a one-year contract, I think we'll be able to keep him because just because he's on such low money that we can give him a pretty big pay raise and it's still not that much money. That's fair. <laughs> I think Brad Guzan's like on 800,000. I think Sean Johnson's on 550 or something like that. So like some of the best keepers in the, in the league are not on super high money. So I, th I think we'll be able to, to keep him around. 
cool. You want to talk about, I mean, Pochettino had, I think his best game. I, I think, I think so too. I think he, um, benefited from kind of playing a bit more of a free role. He was playing centrally, but also would drop in deep to pick up the ball. He would end up on the right wing sometimes and him and Gallagher would end up or Stroud ended up kind of switching places and he would be higher up and wider than, than the winger. And so I think he enjoyed kind of that free role, did some really dangerous and useful things with the ball. He still gave it away a couple of times just for no reason, like, just no real like it wasn't in a dangerous area and just tried to do something that he didn't need to and then maybe shot the ball one or two times when he shouldn't have but aside from from those few little mistakes yeah looked looked really solid yeah let's go through a few of the stats so we talked about possession awesome oh, had- one one more oh. player i do want okay. to mention is danny Pereira. danny Pereira oh, yeah. was excellent um i I think I just like forgot how good he had looked in moments whenever he was before he got injured, but he was great. I think just dribbling past players, uh, some, some really useful passing and then just how calm he looks on the ball and his facial expression never changes. He never looks like he's in a big rush or anything, but at the same time is working really hard and doing some really good defensive work. So I was really impressed with him and his, I'm very glad to see him back because I think he's going to be a big player for us, not only this season, but I think he could be a star in, in years to come as well. Yeah. He seems to be a difference maker. I saw somebody posted one of the, another, one of those comparisons of like the first round of the super draft and production to date online again um, today to remind <laughs> us of what Philip Mayaka ha- has or has not done and what Danny Pereira has done. So yeah. again, great, great choice from the scouting department. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, let's jump into some of the uh, the stats from this game. So uh, you mentioned possession earlier. Early in the game, Austin was like hovering close to like 70%, but it's that can be deceiving. It's not always the biggest sample size, but we get to halftime and Austin finishes the first half with 67% possession. They finished the whole game with 69% possession. And so absolutely dominated the ball. I think later on Portland had kind of thrown in the towel, which probably led to that a little bit. We had some, some Olay moments towards the end of the game where Austin were just passing around because they could. Um, but I think even if it were a bit tighter, Austin would, was going to keep it above 60 easy, if not closer to 65. Um, we got, had 13 shots as opposed to Portland's five. And then here's, this is a stat that, that you found Jeremiah about shots inside the box. Tell us a little bit about that one. Yeah. So I went, uh, yeah. So we had 10 of our 13 shots were inside the box, which seemed like a really high percentage. So I went back and looked for us. I went back and looked at every, every match and it was, it wasn't the most, I think San Jose, we got a higher percentage of shots from inside the box, but this is probably unsurprising, but the more shots we have inside the box, the more likely we are to score. So I think, (laughs) I think in the games we've scored, we've had like 68% of our shots have come from inside the box, and um, it's closer to 50-50 um, on the games where we haven't. This is one where, yeah, we've just got a lot of higher percentage shots than we've had in other ones. Yeah, and then talking about shots on target, we had eight, and Portland only had one, which is the one that went in. So uh, one stat that was a little bit confusing to me and to a lot of other people is the expected goals. Austin scored four goals but the expected goals was only 1.45. 
and Portland only had one shot on target, but their expected goals were 0.83. What does that mean? <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't get that. I think the questions were, you know, considering how many opportunities that we had and, and how many good opportunities we had and stuff like um, Pachino had a good chance, that Jimenez ball that hit the crossbar. Like, it just seems like our expected goals should have been higher um, than it was ultimately. But I guess that's one of those things that works out, right? Because going into this game, we had the biggest differential to the negative between expected goals on the season and actual. So I think I'll take I'll take this, you know, makeup of a couple goals here for sure. Yeah, being on the other side of that of that statistic. Yeah, and I think honestly the A it's it's an imperfect stat, but also I think this stat becomes more true over time if you look at a team's expected goals over the span of a season. A lot of times you're going to see it kind of even out and so I don't know that it's entirely meant to be used on a shot by shot game by game basis and is probably not going to be accurate if it's used that way um but yeah it's I still admittedly do not understand expected goals well enough to understand how uh Hector's goal and Diego's goal were both like below a point two. yeah I don't know Lots to learn about these kinds of stats for sure. <laughs> yeah, well, it's for sure. Let's talk about the post-game um, stuff and attacking flexibility. We got a question at Forest Tap about whether Josh would stick this 4-3-3 or be more flexible. And I don't remember what we answered, but I'm sure I was wrong if I answered, if I did answer that question because I have very much have a like belief in my head that Josh Wolf has his system and sticks to it and never varies from it. And then absolutely varied from it to beautiful effect. So why don't you talk more about that? <laughs> yeah, I think it's, I've seen Wolf and I've seen other coaches get a little bit annoyed by people's fixation on formations, like quote unquote formations, whether it be a four, three, three or four, two, two, because they'll tell you like, it doesn't matter what formation we line up in. It matters like how we move and where we go within that formation, because you would, you could say like in this game, we lined up in a four, three, three, but if you look at the average positions of players, it's like a three, five, one for a lot of the game. And our, uh, our left wing and our central midfielder had a very similar average position. And so I think Wolf's system has more to do with the movement and kind of the principles of moving the ball. And then the formation is something that I think he clearly is willing to change. And then in, in this week's uh, Monday press conference, somebody, I think Chris Bills asked him if he would ever be willing to go to like a straight up three at the back and play three center backs, not just dropping ring in, but actually starting three center backs. And he's like, yeah, yeah, we've talked about that. It's something that, We'll probably implement at some point in the future and so I, I yeah it seems like he is very willing to to be flexible with that but what's not going to change is the principles of play within that formation and i think you're you're always going to see him try to dominate possession try to disorient and um disorganize the opposition with the movement of the ball i think in games past we've seen austin keep possession right but we haven't always seen them disorganize the other team with the ball. This game, it, we did it. It's exactly what Josh Wolf wanted to happen happened. And um, 
I think if they can build off of this and do it, do it more going forward, then that's, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's exactly what Wolf wants. And so I, I think he'll take, uh, a lot of encouragement from this week for sure. I think one, one other thing I want to get to before we go on, cause we've got a player to talk about too, um, or a new player to talk about too is, so was this good Austin or bad Portland? Uh, I think the answer is yes. <laughs> okay. That Portland, they have some injuries and I, I heard some like Portland fans and some other people asking if like, okay, they have some DPs missing. They have these people missing. This guy's on international duty. I would still argue that three of their four best players were on the field that night. Uh, Diego Valeri was there. Diego Chara was there. Uh, Eric Williamson has been fantastic this season. He was there. They're missing Blanco, which he's maybe their most talented and still like most informed player. Um, missing Niascoda, who's a striker. So missing some players for sure. And then also just didn't look quite on it. I think they've been on kind of a bad run of form, but Austin also looked fantastic and played a really great game. And so Portland, as we mentioned last week, they're, they're a team who knows how to win. They, they just have that pedigree and have that experience. So I don't think we should say like, Oh, this game doesn't mean anything because Portland was bad. Portland is still a quality team with some really good players on it. And Austin FC dismantled that team very, very definitively. And so I think we should still be encouraged by it, but um, we should not like get too high on this win either because it's one game and we're going to be seeing some tougher teams in the very near future. Yeah, I'd say it's one, it was one data point, but it was a, it was a great night and we should all just sort of enjoy that and, and see if it continues. You know, I think, connecting that game with another one like it um, coming up this week will go a long way towards seeing whether the system is really uh, sunk in and you know, that this is going to be an ongoing thing and not sort of a fluke performance. All right. We are going to take a quick break and then we'll be back with some information about Austin FC's new signing Musa Jite, And then we'll also do a quick preview of the LA, uh, LAFC game coming up on Wednesday. Tower Soccer is brought to you by our friends at FBF Law, the official injury lawyers of Austin FC. FBF is a different kind of personal injury law firm dedicated to community transparency and client education. You can go to fbf.law to find out what makes FBF a different kind of injury law firm and why understanding your legal options can dramatically change the outcome of a case. Once again, that's fbf.law. All right, we are back with some Austin FC news. And I think the biggest piece of that is that we have signed a striker. Uh, and his name is Musa Jite. He's 21-year-old forward from Senegal. And it looks like he's going to be on the uh, the U22 initiative, a.k.a. Young Money. So, Jeremiah, what do you think? I'm excited about it. Of, I, I always love these like when people have instant reaction, as if somebody, right, as soon as the signing comes out, People are like, this is a good deal or a bad deal. Like anybody yeah. really has in-depth knowledge of what's going on in League Two in France. So yeah. But I think after watching some highlight videos and like hearing Claudio talk, it's great. And it it obviously comes in a position of need that we always knew was a position of need. And 
even more right now seems more important. But Claudio did talk about how he this is something they've been working on all along, and this is not a panic buy, but part of a plan to make them strong both now and in the future. And I think his age really helps tell the story about that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like you said, like regardless of how much you do or don't know about him, the fact that he is a striker and seems to be a pretty capable one, like that alone is very exciting because we currently have zero of those people on the roster. Not even, we have zero players who like have actually played striker most of their lives. And so just to have a guy, you watch his highlights and his, his skill set, the way he plays, he is an out and out number nine. And that's, yeah, just an exciting thing to see. So playing in league, league de, is that how you say it? It's league not league two. Une, so it's like, de, yeah, I guess. <laughs> league two in France. Uh, so the second division in France, which is a, a pretty good league for prospects, I guess. There's a lot of guys who ended up in the Premier League. Uh, playing on Champions League teams and then in MLS as well. A lot of a lot of players have come to MLS from from that league. So uh, pretty good scouting grounds for MLS teams. Um, as far as the timeline goes, they're already working on his visa and things like that. So they're thinking his first MLS game will likely be July 22nd against Seattle, but said there's an off chance that he might be ready for the Tigres game, which is it July 13th? It's on the yep, it's on July 13th. So that's a possibility. Okay. Um, but regardless, we should see him in action on the 22nd. So talking about what kind of player he is, um, Claudio Arena said that he's creative, mobile, aggressive. I've watched pretty limited video of him, and I think that's all pretty apt. Um, he's He's not huge. I want to say he's like five. I think he's five, five eleven. Five like eleven or yeah. so. But like a, a pretty solid frame on him. And so he's I, I think they had him listed at 165, 165 pounds. That sounds small to me. He looked bigger than that uh on the field, but big enough to do some hold up play and kind of hold defenders off, but still pretty mobile and and um, aggressive, makes really good runs, and seems to be just like a just one of those guys that has a nose for goal, just like knows when to shoot and seems to hit the ball really hard as well. So again, just looks like a real proper striker. Um, he is 21. I think if we were, if he was coming into his first game and we still hadn't scored a goal in X number of games, I think that would have been a pretty rough scenario for him to step into where this kid is, 21 years old, moving to a new country, to a new city, to a new team, to a new league, and is expected to, to be the savior of Austin FC. I think this, this game against Portland takes some of that pressure off. Hopefully we can kind of keep these goals going where we can work this kid in to the team in a, in a patient and healthy way for him and for the team. Um, because yeah, I don't, I don't think it would be very fair to expect this young guy to come in and and be our only option for goals going forward yeah that's for sure true and one of the one of the things if you're somehow disappointed that this is the guy that we're bringing in you know claudio talked about striker is by far the most expensive player you know on the field and if there's just like the math doesn't work to go out and get somebody who scored 20 goals in a season as a striker and bring them to mls 
or you know, or even ten. So you, know, you can only you sign based upon potential. Um, and he seems to have like the good potential and the good skill set, and they've done their done their study. So I think it's we have to be encouraged by it, and um, and just the way the roster is being put together with this mix of youth and international youth and um, MLS experience. Yeah. So I had a question. Um, they sent this to me in a, in a direct message on Twitter, so I won't say their name. They, they can out themselves tomorrow when this comes out if they want to, but they were asking about using this U22 initiative. Is this like, is this a sign of Austin FC being cheap signing these types of players or like, what does this mean about, um, about Austin FC's ambition essentially? And I don't think it's being cheap because you don't have to sign these players, right? It's they're still spending good money on these players. So part of the deal with the U22 initiative is the transfer fee doesn't go on to, doesn't count against the salary cap. And so it's essentially extra money that you do not have to spend, but are allowed to. And so it's, if anything, it's more of a sign of ambition. I would say, looking at how ambitious they are is going to be the next one or two signings, how much money they're spending on those guys. And I've, I've said this since the beginning of the season, if, if Cecilio Dominguez is our most expensive player at the end of the year, then maybe that's a sign that they are not necessarily willing to spend a ton of money, but uh, sign like signing these three U22 players. So we have Rodney Redes. Jean Kolmanich and now Musa Jite. Uh, I, I think that shows a lot of ambition actually, because again, it's, it's spending money on young players that you absolutely do not have to spend or not required to spend on these players. So I, I think it does show ambition from the club for sure. But as I mentioned, this is not a designated player spot. I saw some people online acting a little bit disappointed that like, Oh, this is our last designated player spot. And we spend it on this kid. I've never heard of from France. I was like, no, this is, this is not the DP spot. This is a U22 spot. We still have the one free DP spot. And the the players we mentioned last week on the show, so the guys like uh, Sebastian Driussi and um, Vincent Janssen and like those type guys, we could still sign one of those players and have the, the space to do it. And potentially if, if they use some of the mechanisms mechanisms we talked about on the show last week could sign two more players of that caliber. And so there is still a lot of room to spend a lot of money and bring in a lot of firepower for sure. So um, some of those rumors that we mentioned, we said, Drew, it seems like that one hasn't completely gone away yet. So that might still be a real thing. And then one other that I saw this week was uh, Michael Estrada, who is a 25-year-old Ecuadorian playing at Toluca in Mexico is one that popped up. It's just on Twitter, and I haven't really seen it reported many other places, so it may be nothing. But um, it would be interesting to me if they signed another striker. What, what do you think about that, Jeremiah? Should, should they use this DP spot on a striker, or would you rather them see it see it used uh, as like a right wing or like a, a different type of attacking player? Yeah, I think we need one more attacking player. That's I don't feel like it needs to be a striker, either another attacking mid or a winger is is where we need to be. Because with the way they played, not that they can play this way every time, but with the way they played today is a little today. This week we talked a little bit about how 
you can get the best out of Gallagher and Stroud if they're each playing a half and just running, you know? And so yeah. to not have to count on guys like that and get the, give them a little bit more breathing room, um, that's with everybody in the attack right now, you know? We still feel like we're, like, one player short a bit in that. Not that there's, like, a glaring single hole, but just collectively, you know, over the course of the season, we still need a little bit more firepower there, I feel like. Yeah, I I think the same thing. I, I Jite is he's an unknown quantity essentially he's a young guy you don't know how he's going to adapt you don't know how he's going to slot into the team so i don't know that you can necessarily bank on him but at the same time i think he's coming from like again league two in france is is a decent quality league and with a lot of players coming to mls and other leagues who have stepped right in and been really good so I would almost want to see them use this DP spot on like maybe a right winger that can also play inside essentially like the mirror image of, of Cecilio. Cecilio like, yeah. A, maybe like a bit more of a like playmaker type guy, like a bit more of a number 10 than Cecilio is, but uh, like maybe aiming a bit more towards like Carlos Vela, like that playmaking winger who can kind of make something out of nothing that's kind of the profile I would like to see them go after. But as far as what I expect to see, I honestly do not know what they're going to do. Yeah, that's probably, that's probably fair. So I want to talk about the opening of the Columbus crew stadium, even though it's not Austin FC related. (laughs) And there's lots of, you know, the Twitter wars started back up a little bit and there's some stuff, you know, I think they, they ended up not being able to something happened at the TIFO. They couldn't have their first TIFO for the game. Um, but specifically, I want to talk about the uh, fan jackhammer goal oh, celebration. Did you, did you watch that? Well, you yes. couldn't avoid it if you're on Twitter, but did you see it in person? And what do you think about that? Yeah, I didn't watch it live, uh, but I did see a lot of video of it on Twitter. I think whenever, like, there's been a lot of talk over the last few years, but like, what should Austin's thing be? Like, what should be the gimmick that we do? And I was like, admittedly, like, excited about some of the ideas that people had like essentially trying to copy portland like portland what they do is a gimmick but it's pretty cool like and it's it's pretty powerful like seeing timber joey like slice off a bit of a log with a real chainsaw that's kind of a cool thing and so i understand why people are trying to copy it but after seeing this uh this columbus one with the jackhammer, I'm like, okay, let's maybe take a beat and let's just like not have anything for a while. And if something pops up, then let's do it. But like after seeing these goals the other day, like just like everybody losing their minds and being really loud in the stadium is a pretty good alternative, right? Like that's, it's the way people have been celebrating goals forever. So let's just keep doing that for a while. Yeah. Like the bright green led bath and the people losing their yeah losing their brains is perfectly fine with me and yeah i mean the portland thing right i mean like i don't know the complete history of this but i think timber jim just like should open the chainsaw you know at a game and as we like saw a log i mean so it was like it wasn't like they were looking for a gimmick or you know or or a ritual or anything it's just something that happened and i think yeah it came out of that fan base and so i i yeah if if austin's gonna do something i want it to be something in that same vein where just like something that comes up eventually, but that does not seem to be the case with what Columbus did. And it has kind of like scared me off of the whole idea. And I'd rather we not do anything than like jump into something like that. 
take a break for a minute before we do that. Yeah. Um, and the Nashville one, which I think we talked about with Phil, which is kind of goofy, but uh, so they have two, so they have this guitar riff for the match and they have this guy that's Soccer Moses, right? That we talked with, I think, Brad Tillery about. Yeah. When we interviewed him and they managed to combine both of those, which to, to, I said somewhere, like kind of went from like brutally awful to magnificently awful <laughs> to have, yeah. to have Soccer Moses be the, you know, play the, the Gibson riff before the tiff or whatever it is. Like, yeah, I love that. It was like so absurd that I loved it this week. So kudos it was awesome to Nashville. And I don't remember if we talked about it on the show, but Brad Tillery told us that night that so Soccer Moses of Nashville fame is I don't know if they're still active, but was the lead guitarist for the popular Christian 90s rock band Jars of Clay, which like blew my mind because like, yeah, just Jars of Clay was like very much a part of my life as a child. (laughs) And then like this new phase of my life where soccer Moses is, is adjacently a part of my, of my life. And to find out that it's the same thing, just like, yeah, it, it really blew my mind. So that makes it even better to know that like, yeah, he's like, Oh, he's actually a professional guitarist who has just been like dressing up as soccer Moses at these games. And that's all anybody knows him for. But then surprise, he's actually really good at guitar too. Yeah. It, it was, it, it was a good riff. No, that was a beautiful combination of everything. Um, to get in there. I mean, they had, right. They were, they were had like pop radio hits and stuff too. So it's Charles Claire, not an insignificant yeah. band during that time. <laughs> um, okay. That's enough about rituals. Let's talk about LAFC a little bit Wednesday night at Q2. All right. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about the, uh, the history of LAFC. So not very long. So they've only been around <laughs> since 2018, sort of born out of the ashes of uh, what was it? Chivas USA? Chivas USA, yeah. Yeah, I think they were actually announced in 2014 and didn't start playing until 2018. Uh, finished third in their first season in the league. 2019, won the Supporters' Shield, which means they had the best record in the league before losing the playoffs. They had a deep run in the um, CONCACAF Champions League that year, too, right? I think they were the yeah. first MLS team to make the final. Um, so there were high expectations for 2020, but they finished seventh and got bounced in the first round of the playoffs. Again, they're still deep. They're still talented. And they didn't lose a ton. Um, so there's high expectations for 2021 also. But they got off to a little bit of a slow start. Um, and one thing that we talked about was uh, they played week one against Austin FC. And uh, Vela came out like 21 minutes into that game. And we all, like, it seemed like he didn't really want to. Remember, that was like a miscommunication between him yeah. and Bradley. He was acting mad at Bradley for pulling him out. He's like, I'm not hurt. But then he ended up missing like three or four games after that, right? Yeah, he yeah he did. So clearly that was a, that was a legit uh, injury, which was kind of weird. But since he's come back, um, they've started playing better. They're now back to up to fifth in the Western Conference um, on 15 points. But there's a big lot. I think we're at 13. So there's a yeah. huge long jam, and a lot yeah. of that log jam is is between. There's like way varying numbers of games that have that teams have played. But uh, I mean, they're they're there. They're competitive. They should be good. They're still deep. Yeah, it's they've they've not been in great form this season but vela seems to be finding his stride like you said and i think yeah i don't know if if we play like we did against portland the other day we could absolutely beat lafc they're they are not at the peak of their powers but they are so talented and so deep that on a given night if if they're clicking they could 
absolutely destroy us. And so we can't, like I said about the Portland game, we can't get too cocky about this one game because Portland wasn't great that night. Uh, LAFC could potentially be great on Wednesday night because they have the potential to be great on any night. So what kind of, what should we expect from them in, in style of play? Um, so honestly, it's, it's like not too far off from, from what Josh Wolf wants to be doing. Maybe a little bit more aggressive uh, and direct. And I don't know that they're going to be as willing to just like hold on the ball and kind of pass it around, but very much uh, if they lose the ball, they want to win it back quickly and um so they're they're pretty dangerous on those counterattacking moments but they can also just possess the ball and and beat you that way as well so kind of i, I know like bob bradley's um like ideal is kind of like that barcelona style like everything he does he kind of models after fc barcelona and so if you've watched what barcelona does it's kind of aiming at that just on it, if they're not as good as Barcelona, but um, that that is what very much what Bob Bradley is aiming for and achieving on an MLS level at times. Yeah, typically they've been a really high scoring team, but they have not. I mean, this year they're averaging a little over a goal a game, but they're not. You know, used to be they they have a lot of four three three two right five three. They just like run up and down the field and play no defense, and they have moved away from that a little bit. Yeah, their goal differential is only one this year. They're plus one. So they've scored 13 and have given up 12. So, um, and against Real Salt Lake the other night, they barely kind of squeaked one out and scored scored one. I might have been, I don't remember the stats. It might have been their only shot on goal that night was the one they scored. But uh, so, yeah, they are in a, in a tough way. But like we said, Villa is coming back from injury. Looks like he's in pretty good form over the last few weeks. So we will definitely have to be careful there. One thing Chris Bills mentioned in uh, the MLS striker podcast was he talking about going to a back three, like finding ways to, to try to neutralize Carlos Vela. Chris Bills wondered if maybe we would see Austin FC go to the back three again, or at the very least see a ring kind of dropping in, in between center backs again. Um, as we're building the ball up just to try to prevent those dangerous counterattacks with, uh, with Diego Rossi. Um, not, they've been kind of rotating in their striker, but it could be Corey Baird. And then you've got Carlos Vela and then also some really dangerous midfielders. So um, that could be something to see. Maybe we'll see another wrinkle entirely that Wolf has been saving for this game. But uh, yeah, I'll, I'll be very interested to see how Wolf, Wolf approaches this one tactically. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. I didn't know, you know, they play that the way they played work so well against Portland. Do you see that as uh, something that we just did because it was Portland, or is that an ongoing thing, or is that just a wrinkle in a series of wrinkles? Or, or yeah, you it, are not interested in making a prediction on that? They're a very different team than Portland, and so they're not going to sit back and just let us have the ball. They're going to pressure us, and so we cannot expect to play exactly the same way as Portland. I think we could still use some of the same principles and some of the same ideas that could translate into this game, but LAFC are not going to sit back and let us work the ball around. They're going to, they're going to come at you and and punch you in the mouth and try to take the ball and shove it down your throat essentially. So um, yeah, I, I think there could be some of it translated over, but 
it's he'll have to do something different. And I'm, I'm just not sure exactly how he's going to approach that. Gotcha. All right. So hopefully next week we'll have another show that we're excited about because we'll have another 4-1 victory at home. I'll be covered in beer showers again, <laughs> just as before. But uh, other than that, I think we're probably ready to wrap it up. All right, cool. Yeah, before we finish up, we'd like to remind you to rate and review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And then we'll also encourage you to come find us on social media. So I'm on Twitter at LVAHero87. Jeremiah is at jbentley underscore ATX. And yeah, always looking to continue the conversation there. And uh, a lot of times we'll ask for questions and, and use those questions on the show. So find us there and then check out the Striker Texas website as well. So I think one of the interesting articles this week is Chris Bills' tactical analysis of the Port- Portland match. Makes a lot of really, really good and interesting observations in that. Just kind of seeing what we did differently in that game that ended up working. Yeah, that was a good one. And if you're interested in more of the uh, goofy MLS fan culture stuff, Phil West has a, uh, like, what's his, for the, from the West Stand or whatever it is. He published an article oh, yeah. this week sort of covering some of the some of the rituals and, and things that have gone on, which is just a pretty good overview overall of the things that go on in the league if you don't, if you're not super tuned into that. And there's been a couple of, like, fan-generated things as well. Both Chris interviewed a Portland fan, and then Scott Specht from Los Verdes kind of wrote a little piece uh, outlining his experience joining supporters group. So a lot of really awesome stuff happening on the striker Texas right now. Uh, subscribe, support your local journalists, lots of good stuff happening there. Thanks so much for listening. We will be back in one week with a new episode of moon tower soccer, where we will cover the latest in Austin FC news and we'll review the LAFC match until then. I'm Landon Cottom. I'm Jeremiah Bentley. We'll catch you next time. No one is around.